I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome back to The Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. I'm into studies about relationships. I know they don't give the whole picture, but they so often give interesting insight into what's really going on between people. Somebody posted a Frontiers in Psychology study. It was looking at why large numbers of people in Western societies are single. And they had some interesting notes like women are a little more likely to say that they're too picky, 82% of women versus 68% of men. Both men and women say they're afraid of commitment at about 55%. Both are in the high 80s in the want to be free to do whatever they want. Men want to be free to, quote, flirt around slightly more than women, 27% versus 18%. But then what was really interesting to me is that both sexes overwhelmingly say that they're not good at flirting. 91% of women and 86% of men said that. And again, I think it's interesting that more women, 91% of women versus 86% of men say that. I I thought that was uh, kind of funny, but they're, you know, both pretty high up there. And I think it's a real problem. Flirting is signaling interest. And one of the best ways to signal interest is to ask people questions about themselves and then listen for the answer. There's more to flirting, of course, but you know, there's banter and there's making people feel good about themselves. But I think the overall issue is that a lot of people just don't know how to have conversations anymore at all. It's hard to ignore that the generations that are struggling with things like flirting, the ones who are perpetually single, the ones who aren't getting married, the ones who aren't having kids are the same generations that have had the internet their entire lives. I talk a lot about living your life offline, and I admit that I do a lot of my socializing online. 
I've made close friends online. I really do get the concept that the internet can be used for good and social media can actually be social. But I'm Generation X and I had to learn to talk to people before there was an internet. I really do think that too much screen time makes people boring in real life. It starts so absurdly young now. I've written about this before, but I've watched families get to the beach, lotion up their kids, and then tuck them under umbrellas with their phones for the day, or arrive at restaurants and hand out iPads for the children with no expectations of any interaction throughout the meal. A play date at a park is two kids staring at iPads side by side. I'm not perfect. I've Definitely given my kids a phone at a restaurant if it ran too late or if they were melting down. Nobody's perfect. But the idea of just getting there and handing out devices and not even trying to have them, you know, have conversations or interact at all, it's bad. Kids need boredom. They cannot be entertained every minute of every day. Kids who can't be bored end up being boring. You see their dull faces, incapable of maintaining a conversation with anyone. Eye contact is impossible. They can't function. They're on a drug and everyone seems like they're okay with it. That's the worst part of too much screen time. It leads to people who can't meaningfully participate in society. They don't know how to have relationships. The phone literally stands between them and real life. And that real life, it's awkward, it's tedious, it's monotonous. It just can't compete with the constant dopamine hits and filters that fix every flaw on the phone. When you're always perfecting your angles or dropping just exactly the right words online, it gets very tough to function in real life. And I think studies like this prove that out. There are no easy answers, but if I were single right now and I didn't want to be, I would cut way back on my internet usage. I know it sounds kind of counterintuitive since so much of the dating world originates online now. Look, continue swiping if that's how you meet people, but really limit how much more time you spend beyond that scrolling. And if you have kids, I understand the impulse to let them use screens just like their friends do. Again, we let our kids use screens. I'm not going to lie to you and say we don't, but not at restaurants, not at the beach, not in places where they should be talking to other people and learning how to have conversations. Teach them how to have conversations where they ask questions, listen for the response, add something to what everyone else is saying, and hope that they grow up to be part of that 10% of the population that apparently knows how to flirt. Coming up next, an interview with Brian Kilmeade. Join us after the break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. 
As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My next guest is Fox News host and New York Times bestselling author Brian Kilmeade. He's written a new book out now, Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality. Thanks so much for coming on my show, Brian. Usually I'm interviewing you. <laughs> I know, it's so exciting. Your column or your kids. <laughs> yes, this is great. I am extremely excited to read your book. And um, I have loved your previous history books. I, I think you're just fantastic. So thank you so much. Tell us about your new book. Well, I mean... Um, I wanted to move up through time. And I started with George Washington inspiring. And then what after Mm -hmm. that was something unplowed, which was Thomas Jefferson took on the Islamic extremists, the Tripoli pirates. I loved that one. The Tripoli one was amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, we were on track to get it was supposed to be on A&E. They scripted it out to be a three part series. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hit. You heard about the pandemic. I have heard about the pandemic. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm in Florida now. They don't really know about it down here. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you did the crazy thing. They allowed people to walk on the beach and they got <laughs> criticized for that. Remember? Right. Right. Uh, so then we got to the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the uh, the Texas, how it came to be with Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. And then I thought, how do I take on the Civil War? It's the most written about war outside World War II for American audience. And I said, what if I just talk about how Lincoln and Frederick Douglass work together, which brings me to what's next. And, and I just said, well, who picked up where they left off that had some type mm-hmm. of interaction with them. And even before I read Frederick Douglass, I read up from slavery, Booker T. Washington's autobiography. That was uh, the be- best uh, African-American bestseller until Malcolm X released his. Mm-hmm. And it was just so motivating, inspirational. And Teddy Roosevelt's in it. And then talking to his, uh, I went to a descendants meeting of presidents. Wow. And there was Tweed Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. And I, he runs the LIU Roosevelt Center now. And I got to know him more. I said, Tweed, what could you tell me about your great grandfather and Booker T? Mm-hmm. And he went off. And he said, Oh, what a great relationship. It's unexplored. And this is what goes. He knew everything cold. That's and I fantastic. said, Okay, not, you know, not well worn out. What if I. Talk about how they looked at America that was Jim Crow, uh, poll taxes, mm-hmm. separate but equal. Um, uh, the whole, you know what the South was like in some, in many Southern states back then. 
you know, right. what the Democrats were like. Mm-hmm. And that's, I said, well, let me tell you, here's a guy that actually lived it, went back to it and spent the rest of his life trying to make it better through education, which is right up your alley. Yeah. And he did it through, which was, I just did a, an interview with Mike Rowe and I bounced it off him two years ago mm-hmm. because he was build up your mind, spoke to Washington, but everybody's got to learn a trade. And he's also, by the way, you're going to learn that trade here. Are you gonna Are you gonna be a cabinet maker? Great. Are you gonna be a construction gun? Fantastic. You're gonna be into agriculture, a blacksmith, whatever right. it is. You will learn a trade. Why? Because white people aren't ready to hand, uh, hire you yet, so you have mm-hmm. to be invaluable. They got to realize sooner or later, if people are blocking you in life, you got to be so good they can't deny you. And instead of just making Booker T. Washington great, which he was, he decided to make a generation great. Thousands of kids would go through. Tuskegee, and then the, with mm-hmm. the Rosenwald schools, learning a trade, building up the mind, overcoming any racist racial barriers that were in our country at the time. I thought that would be a pretty cool story to bring forward because Teddy Roosevelt was another guy. Okay, he was born into wealth, but he almost died. He wasn't supposed to survive childhood. Mm-hmm. He had a huge sight problem, thought he was going blind. He had asthma, couldn't go to regular school. First time he went to formal school was when he went to Yale. So he goes over there and he and he ends up becoming this robust individual who decided to overcome his feeble youth mm-hmm. uh, and build up his body the rest of his life. And when he looked back and his mom was was born in the South, his her brothers fought for the Confederacy. So he had a knowledge of the South. It wasn't another planet to him. Right. Then he had a knowledge of the Midwest. And those are like working your hands, being a rancher and a tough guy, a legitimate cowboy. But he wanted to understand the South, and he said, I reread up from slavery, too. Mm-hmm. And him and Edith said, we got to get a hold of this guy, Booker T. Washington. And then we watched their relationship take root, and that's what I thought I'd bring forward. Yeah, I really love that. I think that both of them, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt, obviously, you know, we, we do learn about him in history class, Booker T. Washington less. But I think that, you know, just they're both kind of unexplored figures for, I mean, I think most kids going through a history education right now, which... You know, it's a problem to me that we don't learn history, but, um, and obviously Teddy yeah. Roosevelt went through a, a moment where his statue was torn down in New York City, uh, because it was, you know, inappropriate in front of the Natural History Museum. Then so, he found you know, it. right. <laughs> and that, I believe that statue was actually, I, I don't remember what the situation was, but it was like, they, because Native Americans were in the statue, that was somehow inappropriate. So I think the fact that we spent all this time tearing down history instead of building it up, right. I love that you're telling the story of these two men. So what was their you know, relationship ultimately? Like, were they friends? Well, Carol, a couple of things. Number one is uh, the people at the Tate Roosevelt Museum, which is now going to be in North Dakota, where he spent all his time ranching. Mm-hmm. It's such an impact on him. They're going to, sh- they shipped it out. They're going to ship it out that direction. Oh, and the reason why they boxed it up is because Teddy was on a horse mm-hmm. and an African-American standing behind him along oh, with yeah. an Indian, uh-huh. which mm-hmm. is not offensive. It was unbelievable. They boxed it up and split right. it out. That's when we were drunk with anger. Yeah. And it's embarrassing. It is and embarrassing. I, did, I was doing a, the history of the police in New York City for Fox Nation. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do a thing right by the statue. And I walk out there with Ray Kelly and it's boxed up. It's crazy. It's boxed up. So, listen, you'll see some quotes from Teddy Roosevelt and you'll go, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, racially, the, he was a person of his times. But you see a lot of his actions and the way he interacted with Booker T. Washington, you know he treated everyone equal. But at the same time, he was a victim of his times. The same thing you would look at Abraham Lincoln said some things where you go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this is the great emancipator. 
but he would change over time, like we all do, hopefully. Right. <laughs> right. But, no, I think, you know, maybe we shouldn't hold historical figures to modern standards. I think even things that we said, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago are, you know, now no longer allowed. So as we change our standards and get rid of anybody who ever spoke in a way that we don't speak today, I think that may, maybe that's a foolish thing to do. Yeah, I'll give you a great quote. So he obviously is living in the South where if you were caught dating a white woman or a black man, you get hanged. Mm -hmm. uh, and he saw lynchings all around him. He saw some inequities he couldn't uh, tolerate. But he looked at the big picture. This is the America I'm in. How do I make it better? And how do I educate people rather than agitate people? And he writes this. With few exceptions, the Negro youth must work harder and perform his task even better than a white youth in order to secure recognition. He also saw a silver lining in. He said, quote, out of the hard and unusual struggle through which he is compelled to pass, he gets a strength and confidence that one misses whose pathway is comparatively smooth by reason of birth and race. Yeah, it's unequal. But right. if you understand that and you overcome that, think about where you'll be as a person and, dare I say, in a career. Right. So I usually end with this question, but I think, you know, asking it sort of at the top, um, I think probably your book and actually all your history work might inform your answer. But what do you think is our largest cultural or societal problem in America? And do you think it's solvable? I, I just think fundamentally, we don't appreciate where we're at. And it's hard to appreciate something you've always had. Mm -hmm. A couple, two, three generations. Uh, people look around and go, well, I see imperfections. Right. I think we have, I think we have lost patriotism in the sense of exceptionalism, but it's easy to get back. All you have to do is realize this is a problem, start putting it into our schools, don't mm -hmm. indoctrinate me, tell me. Tell me the story. Yeah. I'm not telling you that there was no racism. Right. I'm not telling you that there wasn't any slavery. But I'm watching these figures emerge and also know that there's more African-Americans today coming to America than mm -hmm. any other country in the world. So if it's that bad and the most successful, I believe this was the case two years ago, probably today. The most successful new immigrant immigrant group coming here are Nigerians. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's right. And their, their education and their culture, they come over with a kind of a sophisticated, they had the easiest time blending in as opposed to somebody from Somalia through a culture that's so dramatically different. Mm -hmm. So we know race doesn't matter. Uh, and we also know that no matter how smart you are naturally, it's how hard you're going to work for what you have. So I think the biggest problem is we're not grounded in the same thing. We used to say, we love this country. I have a different vision to make it better. There's a lot of people protesting today, anti-Semitism, anti-American, mm -hmm. pro-Hamas, that clearly don't like the country yeah, and clearly are embarrassed by the country. Mm -hmm. And if you could just start getting a generation understanding how special we are compared elsewhere for those who can't travel and see for yourself, I think that would iron out a lot of things. Also, com competition, and I know you wrote a book about this, competition <laughs> and education. Mm -hmm. uh, the minute you get competition and education, I think things will straighten out because parents like you and me will go, excuse me, is this my school? Right. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. Give me my $8,000. <laughs> I'm going to go down. I'm going to the Catholic school down the block, the charter school in the city. Yeah. I'm going to leave. And when you get enough leaving, then all of a sudden those jobs will leave unless the public school straightens out its act. That's right. And they'll how do we get, how do we get your book in the public schools, you know? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've a lot of people take it for homeschool. Mm -hmm. and that makes that's, sense. That's, yeah. yeah, that's a, that's another thing. And they'll say stuff. Would you be able to call in? And best I can, I call in. So wow. you have a group of like a pod mm -hmm. of eight to 12 kids and I'll call in and I'll, and I'll talk to them. And I, I find that very interesting.
Were there mm-hmm. any surprises while you were writing Teddy and Booker T? Yes. How much criticism he got in his real life, both. Like Mark Twain never liked Teddy Roosevelt. Mm. Thought he was a big showman, full of hot air. And it bothered him. Mark Twain loved Booker T. Washington. And really? how many people in Booker T. Washington's life were critical of him while he was alive? Like W.E.B. Du Bois was founded the NAACP, who was never a slave, was born, um, uh, was highly educated, uh, did a lot of great things, great minds, great education, never, um, you couldn't say that he had a fraction of the impact that Booker D. Washington had, mm-hmm. but he was very critical. And to see other African-Americans critical of this black superstar, why? Because they said he was too compliant. He wasn't standing up more for the injustices that we all saw, you know, from uh, the water fountains to the bathrooms, to the no longer allowed in schools, to not being able to play sport, all that stuff. W.E.B. Du Bois is an example of somebody who wanted to fight all that. And he right. said, I can't fight. And Booker T. Washington said, I can't fight all that. But I could fight a lot. And if you're going to be, if the Johnson family is unbelievably racist, I don't hate them. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to deal with the other two families that aren't. And maybe the Johnson family, by watching the way the others treat me and I treat them, will change. And W.E.B. Du Bois, like, uh, like Al Sharpton, who, um, was just, how dare you? not confront that racism you just saw. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm living in the South and I'm trying to change generations in my time. And I, he died at 59. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about in the perfect world, this is what the perfect way to live would be. And that's fine. But we could both coexist. He didn't see it that way because Booker T. Washington was so big, so famous. Uh, white people were very comfortable with him. It bothered him. Uh, Andrew Carnegie called him one of his best friends. Uh, J.P. Morgan, the same thing. Rosenwald, the founder of Sears, the same thing. These guys were tight. And mm-hmm. to see him with these powerful people, many people thought, well, he had to have sold his soul for that. He goes, no. They would turn around and donate to his school and other HBS, uh, mm-hmm. historical black colleges. And he was they were both winning. They felt bad about the inequities in society. They wanted to help any way they can. They had a ton of money. They wanted to help. And yet people viewed Booker T. Washington doing that while not calling out any racist racial practices that might have existed in their finances, in their businesses. Mm -hmm. He thought that was too willing to comply. Mm -hmm. And that that was the biggest surprise. I'm like, wait a second. You can see that the fact that he's lauded in England and in France and in Spain and Germany and right. uh, and he's looked up this way. Isn't an inspiration to generations of black youth that you can do this too? And he didn't. He was very critical. In fact, in I think in his eulogy, he started a, three or four lines. W. B. Du Bois and compliment him, and then says, "Here's how he set the mission back." We're going to take a quick break and be right back on the Carol Markowitz show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, you know, a question that I ask all of my guests is, do you feel like you've made it? And so I want to ask you, Brian, about that, but I also want to know, do you think Booker um, and Roosevelt felt like they made it in their lives? Yes. Yes, to which they, one? <laughs> um, well, do you for, think you've made it? At no. The start there? No, no, you don't I'm, think so. I feel very uh, fortunate to be here. Mm-hmm. And I also think that in our business, you see so many talented people and it stops on a dime, whether it's something they did or something that changes about the business. Mm-hmm. And um, I, the only thing I give myself credit for is realizing when I started filling in in 1996, I had already been on the air in some way for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And I realized how great this place was, even though nobody was watching it, couldn't get any cable system. There was no streaming. Right. I just walked in and I said, man, this is this is unbelievable. Yeah. And I, w- I, w- I give myself credit for realizing that and never thinking the grass was greener because I knew so many people and I, I know so many talented people. And they always so even the people here that left, I'm like, you you are crazy. And I was right. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'll give myself credit for that. But not in our business. It changes so much. I mean, you probably thought you were going to be a writer. And if you just wanted to be a newspaper writer. And not and not adjust to the mediums with mm-hmm. you probably be uh, in trouble. You have to do more than one. That's why I'm saying to myself, okay, I want to do radio. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to write books. I want to be able to talk about them. Um, I want to be able to go on stage. In the back of my mind, I got this sports foundation. Wow. So my goal was always <laughs> to do it, but I don't think I made it because I th- I see how things change so much. We mm-hmm. all know people that were at the top of the game a short time ago. And they're now out. Their talent didn't change. 
things changed. And then, okay. so I, the minute I feel like I made it, I think that it's probably over the next day. For those guys, what's so interesting is, I think they did realize, but they also were in the prime of their life and they already had seen their high by maybe 56. That's why Teddy Roosevelt goes to the Amazon. He loses that election after they split the vote with the Bull Moose Party and him and Taft split the Republican vote and Woodrow Wilson becomes president. And he thinks, what am I going to do? I got to go, you know, I'm going to go down to the Amazon. He almost dies and it would eventually kill him, compromise the system, which he never fully recovered from. Booker T. Washington kind of hit his high and he was on the downside for a couple of years before he got sick and ended up getting his last wish was to die at Tuskegee. And he did. Teddy Roosevelt was one of the speakers at his funeral. So I think they did reach, I think they realized their impact, but they were never satisfied. Right. So Sounds never, like you. <laughs> yeah. Never satisfied. You got to be grateful. You got to right. be grateful. Yeah. But it, I think if you're ever satisfied, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I've gotten know. such a range yeah. of answers to this. I just, I love asking this question because I always get like, you know, just people who you think would say no, say yes, but people who you think would say yes, would say no. It just, it, it's really interesting to see where people think that they are in their lives. And it's interesting to imagine where Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington might've imagined if they, you know, if they felt right. like they had made it. So I would think um, that the one thing about Teddy Roosevelt that's underappreciated, I told you about Booker mm-hmm. T is his family. His family is all over his biographies, autobiographies, his biographies, you research him. He would just, when he was with his kids, obviously there's no phone, so it's a big advantage. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> but he would be all in. There'd be yeah. one adventure after another. And his dad was the same way. When his dad, as busy as he was, successful as he was, no communication, no cars, he still was always there for him, especially when they were so worried about his respiration. Mm-hmm. And we got to help this kid. So he always felt really close to his family. So it does go to show you you can have this historically successful career yeah, and still have the other if you choose right. in the, with a little luck. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, I've loved having you on. I can't wait to read Teddy and Booker T, how two American icons blazed a path for racial equality. My last question that I also ask all of my guests is to end with the, your best tip for my listeners on how they can improve their lives. And it could be obviously what you've learned from Teddy and Booker. Uh, I'll I'll do it. And it's not earth shattering or cutting edge, but I just think you got to take some time to figure out your personal goals and your professional goals, separate them and ask yourself why. And if your whys are strong enough, it'll happen. You write them down, two sides of the same page, keep it to yourself in your pocket or share with your family, whatever you're more comfortable with mm-hmm. might be too personal. And it'll happen. You take some time to look at that every day and it'll manifest itself in some way, shape or form. If your why is strong enough, if you just want to be famous to prove to your parents that I'm not the loser (laughs) you thought I was, it's not going to work. Or when you get there, you're never going to be satisfied. If your why is strong enough, I want to be famous and successful in order to form a foundation that maybe to help the, the most amount of people possible. I want to mm-hmm. prove to somebody in my neighborhood that somebody like me could emerge. That's fine. Um, I want to be the best uh, basketball coach in high school history. That's great. I want to affect 5,000 kids, 30 kids at a time uh, in football. That's great. So whatever it is, the more detailed, the better chance it has of coming through. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you, Carol. And just if anyone wants to see me on the road, I'm all over Florida. 
BrianKillMe.com. I got a whole list there on my oh, website. Oh, yeah. I'm going to definitely go. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to surprise you at one of the events. <laughs> I'm going to give you 20% off the admission. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> it's big. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> you got it. Go get him, Carol. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on The Carol Markowitz Show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.